Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. We've been talking about what it means to be a people who have not received the spirit of fear, of fear but of power and love and self-discipline. Yeah, um, And we've been talking about the difference in those things. Um, and so what I want to talk to you guys about this morning is the context of that passage. Um, you know, there's a song, many of you may know it, there's a, a hymn, it's called It Is Well With My Soul. Who's familiar with that? It was written by this guy named uh, Horatio Spafford. Um, and when you listen to the words, it is like incredibly beautiful. Uh, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, um, what is it? God has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Now, it's one thing to listen to the lyrics. It's another to know the story. Um, Horatio Spafford was on a ship passing the point um, where the ship of his beloved wife and son had gone down in the ocean. And at the moment where he is crossing over that spot, this song emerges. Now, how does that change the song for you? Do you understand that the context of the moment shifts everything? For many of you this morning, you were praising. And for some of you, you were giving a sacrifice of praise. Same moment, same experience, two different contexts. Some of you are in tremendous heartache And you feel terrorized. You feel pursued by the enemy. You feel like you're digging your roots in with everything you've got. And for some of you, you are living good. Two different contexts, same story. History tells us that when the Apostle Paul wrote that, um, that you have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline, that he was sitting on the floor of his Roman jail cell awaiting his execution. Same passage different context. It it wildly changes the narrative for us to wrestle with the content of what Paul is actually saying in the moment that he is actually saying it. Are you with me? It, It is one thing for us to experience the presence of God in a moment that costs us nothing. It is a very different reality when we choose to believe and trust him and walk by faith in a moment that costs us everything. And the reality of what we've been talking about and the lives that God's inviting us into is built in defiance of the circumstances that would cause you to live in fear and anxiety and as a victim, but to actually rise above it. It is in the reality. It's in the face of hardship. It's in the face of desperation. It's in the face of all sorts of things. Context. Um, Can you imagine the scene, shackled and hungry and dirty and cold? Paul's body is riddled with sickness because of his circumstances, sleepless because of long, uncomfortable nights and uncertain days, sure of his death. We actually hear it in chapter 4, verse 6. Paul kind of tells you the condition that he's in. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. Paul's convinced that he's going to die. And he's not wrong. He's about to die. And out of that same parched, hungry mouth, with every reason to despair and doubt, Paul mutters these words just as Luke writes them down. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power. 
How's that for a kingdom formula? Hardship plus suffering plus discomfort plus challenge plus sickness plus hunger plus certain death. Power. Some of you are like, that formula doesn't work. It does in the kingdom. It does with Christ. It does with the Spirit of God living inside of you. And so what does it mean for us to live filled with the power of God in the face of fear? I believe it means two things for us. Number one, that we can live above our circumstances. And number two, that death doesn't win. It has no capacity for the life of the believer. It has no power to win. Do you believe that? That the living with the Spirit of God in you means that your circumstance is no longer the thing that defines the quality of your life. Hear me. That when the Holy Spirit chose you as His dwelling place, the way that you define the quality of your life, the way that you define success, has forever changed. Like you could be the most financially unsuccessful person in the room and the most successful person in the room. You feel that? You could be the person who has suffered the most and is the most successful. That is the tension we walk in in the kingdom of God. That we have been given something that is unseen and it is more important and real than anything else that we can see. See, what you've received in Christ outweighs what can be taken from you. And even death, which is like the greatest weapon the enemy has in his arsenal, it holds no power over you. Like the worst thing that can happen to you sends you into eternal life. Like the enemy has nothing. Are you with me? I'm not saying he can't hurt us. I'm saying on my worst day, I move into my best moment. Do you feel that? Do you feel like the, the, the fear of death evaporate off the skin? Like, oh, oh, hold on. Okay. If my worst If my worst fear comes true, I go into the presence of the loving God and he makes me whole. Are you with me? That's why the Apostle Paul can echo things out of Hosea, like where, oh, death is your victory. Where grave is your sting? When we read that, sometimes as Americans, we're like, well, I I feel the, the sting. But he's saying your eyes aren't lifted high enough. If death can sting me, I'm looking at the wrong stuff. I'm not saying it's hard. I'm not saying it's difficult. We've, we've lost loved ones. We've lost loved ones here in this house. What I'm saying is there's a different disposition that God invites us into where our life is so firmly built on the eternal reality of Christ and the treasure that's been stored in us by the Holy Spirit that even in our worst moment, we only move into the, the next best revelation of who God is. And that is what God is inviting us into. We, we have something stronger to build our lives on now. We're not living in fear of what might happen. We are living with this fulfilled reality of the hope that we have in Jesus. You can live above your circumstance. Some of you are in dire circumstances this morning. And the the idea of living with a spirit of power sounds like false. It's like metallic in your ear. Like it just bounces off. And the Lord wants you to sense this reality that the power of God that he has made available in Christ through the work of the Spirit in your life, that you have not only the capacity, but the the, the command, the mandate to take up a righteous defiance and to live in it, to live in it. And it's not automatic. You, You can't shift into autopilot and for it to happen, I actually have to 
choose to fan the flame this gift of the Spirit. I have to choose to live into this, this thing that the Lord has entrusted to me. You know, five years before Paul writes his second letter to Timothy, five years before that, he's sitting in another Roman jail cell. Like, Paul does his best work on the floors of Roman jail cells. Um, and I, I don't know what it means to you. For some of you, you feel like you are living enslaved and imprisoned in a season. What does it do for you that the words that are giving us life today by the power of the Holy Spirit are the same kinds of things that can come out of your life when you are writing and giving glory and praising on the floor of your jail cell? Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians, and it's beautiful, the kind of gold that's coming out of his life in the difficulty. Some of you are going, I wish I can just get on the other side of this hard thing so that the stuff that God wants to do in me can come out, not realizing he's doing the work where you are, right? He works in Joseph where he is in the prison. He invites Peter out of the boat onto the stormy seas. Our theology, if it doesn't involve a decent amount of discomfort and inconvenience and stepping into places we don't want to be, we're going to miss Jesus because that's where he's working. That's where the Spirit's working. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And in our American uh, convenience, we go, ooh, this is good. Tell us more. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. And you must be like me, like, what is it? What is it, man? Is it an investment strategy? Is it YouTube premium? Is it like a podcast or hot Pilates? Like, what is it? What do I need to do to find this secret of contentment? And then he hits us with a curveball in verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do everything. What we felt this morning was the, the air of faith filling the room where you can do all things through him who gives you strength. Or the reality of what it is that God invites you into and who he has called you to be far exceeds the moment, far exceeds the circumstance. Paul says, whether I'm needy or I have plenty, whether I'm hungry or well-fed, I can do all of this because God gives me strength. What is the all this for you? Maybe it's not Paul's list. Maybe it's something altogether different. You might not be on the floor of a jail cell this morning, but what is the thing that you're enduring that you're not sure you have power for? Whether you're single or married, whether your marriage is good or it's really not whether you're financially successful or poor, whether you love your job or hate it, whether you have kids or don't, whether you own or rent, whether you have a roof over your head or you live on the street. Like, let's not rob the power of what it is that Paul's saying to us, right? We don't want to American it up too much. Are you with me? Whether you're perfectly healthy or you're on your deathbed, we can do all this through him who gives us strength because we have received what is stronger and can't be taken. I can do all of it. I can do all of it. I can ride the highs and I can sit in the lows and I can trust that no matter where that road leads, I can do it. Again, the Apostle Paul is saying this on the floor of a jail cell. That preaches, y'all. It's a different kind of letter when I'm reading somebody who's in the midst of suffering and can say, with his strength, I'm good. I listened to the testimony of a Swedish man who had been locked up in a Sudanese prison uh, for his testimony of the gospel, and he had been tortured, and he was there for years. And on the backside of it, 
what I would expect out of someone who had gone through that is hatred for his torturers. I would expect to hear somebody who was angry and resentful and bitter. And what I found was the tenderness that only comes from the presence of the Spirit. Tenderness. What comes out of us in these things? Do, do we have this treasure, this priceless treasure that builds in us perseverance to stay focused on what is unseen and eternal? That is the power that the Holy Spirit invites us into. And so what do we contend with if we're going to live above our circumstances? Well, if the Holy Spirit, Troy, if the Holy Spirit's goal is to deliver power into your life as a follower of Jesus, then the spirit of fear has an agenda, and that is to remove power. You feel that? Like, it's almost an opposite thing, J.D. Like, when I come to the Spirit and I recognize what it is that I receive through the presence of the Holy Spirit, I recognize that the enemy also has an agenda to pervert, twist, and remove the very thing that God wants to give. Power. And powerlessness is a tricky business. There's this um, example that I heard years ago. When they're training elephants in, like, Southeast Asia, they will take a small baby elephant and they will stake it to a little stick. They will pound that little stick into the ground and tether it with a little string. And that baby elephant is powerless to pull against the weight of the stick. Just doesn't have the strength as an infant. And they do something interesting. They just leave it tethered to that stick for years. It's just confined to this little stick to the degree that a full-grown elephant tethered to the same little stick won't even pull. They are so convinced of their powerlessness against this thing that has held them, that they will stay captive to something that has no power over them. It has no power, but it has power. It has no power, but it has power. Powerlessness is this external condition that can become a foothold for the enemy and can grow to become a way of thinking and living. Every one of us has wrestled with this in seed moments, small moments where we felt powerless, we fell victim to something, and suddenly that thing that was external moves inside. That monster that haunted us out there becomes the thing that crushes us in here. I can be long gone, I can be far away from the traumatic moment, the experience, the person, the individual, the situation, the culture, the church, whatever, and I still carry the same seeds and feelings and emotions that I had in the moment that I felt it. Are you with me? And our culture is riddled with this, riddled with this. We often call it a victim mentality, but what I want to suggest to you this morning is that it's actually a spirit. It's more than a victim mentality. Or may I say, it's often a spirit, right? Not one of us would argue that there are real victims. We have heard stories of people in this room. We will hear one today. Uh, what is reasonable and real is that people live deeply wounded and they feel powerless and they feel victimized. I'm not suggesting that people should just kind of get over it and move on and pull yourself. Have you heard that? That's not helpful. What I am suggesting is that the spirit of fear leverages trauma and pain to keep a person who was once victimized continually enslaved to a victim mindset long after they're free. They just can't seem to break free from the mental and emotional jail cell. They're the elephant with the stick in the ground. And everybody else can see it and say it, but for that individual, they feel utterly powerless. 
And it trickles down into how they process every situation and relationship and condition afterward. Right? Now, I believe with all my heart that that is the spirit of fear and its minions at work around us. Have you ever noticed how a person who has experienced victimization seems to have similar experiences more than once? You ever notice that? Like it's a, actually a pattern. And then if we're not discerning and aware, people can start to think, well, the person's just the issue. Are you with me? We need to be slow. We are talking about spiritual realities. Um, in, in our language, we call those familiar spirits, that a person is, can actually be harmed or take on trauma, and sometimes they can partner with that. But often they leave open this wound or this place of trauma, and it's like the enemy puts a tracker on them, and they just get followed by the same stuff. I, I had a friendship with a girl in college who had come out of a lifestyle of, of promiscuity and hypersexuality. And y'all, she came clean, she came to the Lord, but the enemy wanted to just terrorize this girl. I remember we were driving down the highway one day, and she was in the vehicle behind me, and when we got off to the gas station, we were on a trip, she got out of the car crying, and I thought, what has happened? And she said, all these cars were pulling up beside me doing like lewd sexual acts in the car in front of me, like specifically to come beside me. Now, you, you might think, oh, random, except that stuff happened all the time to her. The enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This thing of powerlessness that manifests as actually a spiritual entity that comes to actually make you a captive, hold you hostage, comes after people and keeps them feeling like they cannot ever move forward. Hear me. Powerlessness can be a moment, but it can also be a way of life if we don't receive the Holy Spirit who destroys fear. That passage reads very differently to somebody who's been victimized. And they hear you have received the spirit of power. Well, holy cow, right? I feel like it needs a bigger word, but that's where I'm going to stay. Well, shoot. Daggum it. Dang it. (laughs) I've never felt like such a nerd. To someone who has felt afraid their entire lives, you have not been given a spirit of fear. In Christ, you've received the spirit of power. Power. And not power to break somebody else. Not power to destroy. The power to live with an overcoming. An overcoming faith that buoys you up even when the waters, the flood waters of, of, of hardship come flooding in. You've received power. See, this this is the invitation that you and I have. It's that you and I live with this this overcoming sense of what we face. And and if that's you this morning, and if you live with this sense of terror from past issues, or perhaps, perhaps it's not as big, right? Like maybe that's too dramatic for you, but perhaps you just live in a cycle of feeling paralyzed by what people think about you or dominated by the life someone else carved out for you. The Holy Spirit has come to give you power that removes anxiety and fear as a core ingredient in your life. And every single one of us need that gospel, that good news. You have not received the spirit of fear if you have received Christ. You have received the spirit of power. 
And if you have not received Christ, can I just warn you that all the good thinking and positive mantras you want to bounce around all day long do not afford you the spirit of power. That spirit of power comes to reside in those who believe in Christ by faith, who are called sons and daughters of the Most High and have an inheritance in His blood. And for those of us who don't, man, I can think all the good thoughts about Jesus, but if I don't belong to Him, I am not in covenant with God, and I cannot share in the inheritance and the promises of God. Are you with me? We like to lay hold of stuff that we haven't also paid for. I want to claim the things that I'm not willing to actually surrender to. And the Lord wants us to know the difference. You have not received the spirit of fear. You've received power. And the Lord wants to give you breakthrough. If you're there today and you feel that, I feel terrorized. I feel like the enemy has, is tracing me to just continue to make me give up. The Lord wants to give you breakthrough today. But secondly, death does not win. It's one of the carrying themes all through the Gospels. That if Jesus has triumphed over death, that he actually went all the way through it. It's not like he was on the cross and the Lord delivered him from the cross. Are you hearing me? That's the kind of faith many of us have. Lord, just deliver me from the hardship piece. And he actually says, no, 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 we're going to go all the way. Because the power of the gospel is that even if things don't go the way that I want, even if I die in body today, life fills me. That this gospel promises so much more. Paul prays this in Ephesians 1.18. It's powerful. Um, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order to know, in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. What kind of power? That power, he says, is the same as the mighty strength he, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the hev- in the heavenly realms. Listen to that. The power of the Holy Spirit is the strength of God that was exerted in the dead body of Jesus. And Paul writes that what we have received by his Spirit is not a lesser power, but it is the same as the mighty strength he exerted in Christ. The thing that he has given to you is the same thing that was necessary three days after the death of Jesus. When most corpses stink, the Spirit of God was filling the tomb and filling the body and bringing new life out of it. So that gives us permission in the moment where you say, I have no more hope that this thing's going to change. I have no more hope that I can break through this moment. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. We will one day receive resurrection bodies that deliver us from death and decay forever. That is our birthright as sons and daughters of God. That when we see his face, that I will no longer decay. I won't get sick. I won't get allergies. Pollen will suddenly disappear from the universe. Amen. I'm not going to get bronchitis. Thank you, Jesus. But until that day. We have the first fruits of resurrection power at work in us. New life. New life in your death. There's no such thing as resurrection power without death. Not just his, yours. 
Said another way, the power of God is not simply to keep dead people limping, it is to make new people from the dead. The power of God that is promised to us is to make dead things alive. It's not to just keep you sustained in your sin. It is to actually put you to death and raise you to new life. Friends, the power of God is reserved for the man or the woman who has died to the flesh. Notice that the Spirit of God didn't exert the power of God on the the man of God until he was dead. It didn't start on the cross. he, He waited till he had breathed his last. It only works in the man or woman who doesn't live for this world or for his preferences any longer. Jesus was obedient to death, and so the Holy Spirit of power raised him up at the Father's command. And the same happens when you die to yourself. Why? Why would Jesus say, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to follow me, Josh, deny yourself and take up your cross and do it? Why would he say that? Because the only way that the power and the life of God get in is if you get out of the way. You feel that? And that means something. That means I have a part to play in this. I have some participation. Because when we try to apply living in the power of God to just satisfying earthly desires, it's like strapping costume wings to a pig and expecting it to take off flying. It's not going to happen. You can make it look like it all day long. That thing can't fly. But the power of God is the fuel in the engine of a life that is dead to sin and alive to Christ. And my suspicion is that this is why the power of God is revealed in weakness. Have you ever experienced that? I I want his power when I feel very strong and self-sufficient and independent. And the Lord says, my power doesn't work in your independence. It shows up in weakness. It's when I embrace death to self. That's when it shows up. We always talk about the power of God. Man, we are charismatic people. We pray for the power of God all day long. But very few of us want the mandatory weakness that the power of God demands. I don't get my will. I don't get my way. I don't get my preferences. <laughs> Any of you with me? Weakness. It's when we embrace that way of taking up our cross to follow him. What we actually want, I think, is human power 2.0. To deal with human issues. I want God to sprinkle some power on what I already want. And God wants to give us a whole different kind of power. He wants to invite us into the kind of power that makes dead things live. And God tells us that his power, that the power of the spirit is made perfect in our weakness. It's completed. It fills to the full when KC is weak and dependent on God. So we close where we started. Paul on the floor of a dirty, dusty jail cell, awaiting his execution. And I just want to ask you, if you look at that picture, knowing what you know, what do you see now? Do you see that poor, hopeless, helpless little man who's going to die? Or are you cultivating the kind of eyes that can see the unseen thing? The kind of eyes that recognize that this is a man who is freer than everybody else you've ever talked to. Listen to this. I want to close with Hebrews 2.15. And then I want to invite Cami to come and just share um, her story with us. Hebrews 2.15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, 
he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that's the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For some of you, you were living terrorized by the fear of death. And Jesus invites you to come and receive power. It's his power. Not to get out of death, but that death actually holds no power over you. I think it was Billy Graham who said, one day someone will tell you, Billy Graham has died in his voice. You know, only he says, Billy Graham has died. (laughs) But do not believe them. For I have never been more alive. Have you received that power? The power that overcomes your circumstance and the power that lives in the face of fear and even death. Hey, newsflash. This is really helpful for us as Americans. You're all going to die. No, literally, every one of you. And some of us in seasons that we don't choose. Chrissy makes fun of me. She's like, baby, you talk and think about death more than anybody I know. (laughs) Pretty interesting topic. 100% success rate on experience. Seems like something we ought to think about. Some of you are living to escape death. If I can fill up my life with enough experiences, if I can go enough places, if I can have enough sexual encounters, if I can be intellectual enough, if I can get enough education, if my bank account is thick enough, you're going to die. <laughs> you're you're going to die. You with me? But really, we will all die. The question is, does death hold any power over you? Death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? We saw the man get up from the grave. It holds no power. Kenny, will you come? Kami's going to share her story, and I'm going to ask her to pray over the time. Will you do that? Hey, y'all. Wow, there's a lot of you. (laughs) Um, Lord Jesus, um, give me your words to speak. This is not my own story. This is what you have done in and through me. It is not um, some victory I can claim, but it is victory that you have won. Holy Spirit, fill me. Show me what you want me to share. Speak to our hearts, God. Amen. Well, hey, y'all, those of you who don't know me, I am Cammie. Um, I'm on staff here. I've been on staff for a little over a year now. Um, and I just wanted to share a little bit of my story, of what the Lord's done in my heart. Um, and I just wanted to start with this, a little bit of a trigger warning. Uh, I am going to be talking a little bit about sexual assault and abuse and rape. I won't go into details, but I do just want to let you know. Uh, but I also just want to encourage you, um, to not mute your ears, to not turn to blo- a blind eye, because there are people even in our congregation who are experiencing this or who have experienced this. So please hear me and please hear the victory that the Lord has brought through it. Okay, so um, so yeah, um, a little bit of my story. Um, so I grew up in church. My parents were in ministry my whole life. My dad was a pastor. 
um, had a really good family, um, grew up here till I was about 10, then we moved to Indiana, uh, where my dad took over a new church up there, and it was a very different culture from Southern culture. <laughs> um, so I learned a lot, but we moved up there when I was 10, and um, when I finally got into high school when I was 15, um, things really shifted for me. Um, I got, like, my first real boyfriend, because, you know, middle school, it doesn't really count. Like, you can't go anywhere with them. Like, I don't really get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it didn't really count before. So when I was 15, I was in high school, got my first, you know, real boyfriend because we could actually go on dates and stuff. And um, he was like, you know, my first kiss. I was butterflies, all the, you know, typical feelings. Um, but fast forward a couple months into the relationship, and this guy became very aggressive towards me. And I had no context for how dating was supposed to look or anything because we just didn't really talk about it in my family we didn't really talk about it in church and he became more and more aggressive and I, I kept telling him hey I'm not I'm not comfortable with with crossing certain lines I've just you know I don't want to do this and um, I remember he would he would try to do things to me over and over again I'd say no I don't I don't want to I don't want to until I'd, I'd start crying and then one day he just didn't listen and he just did what he wanted and I was terrified, um, you know, just a terrified little 15-year-old girl, and I, I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I didn't want to tell my parents. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I felt like um, it was my fault, um, and I, I just didn't know what to do. And so um, I finally got to this point after months of this continually occurring, um, where I just remember being like in the shower and just feeling so disgusting and just like rubbing my skin raw, just like wanting the dirt, the shame just to like be off of me. And I remember crying out from the shower floor to the Lord and saying, God, if you're real, I, I really need you to show me because I feel disgusting. I don't feel like this is redeemable. I don't understand. I have lived a pure life, and suddenly this has happened to me, and I, I don't understand. And so, anyways, after that moment, I felt like the Lord spoke to me um, to go to his word. And so for the first time in my life, I, I started to seek the Lord in the word. I started to feast on the word for myself. And um, I began to, to come to know who Jesus was and how he set captives free and how he still does that to this day, and um, which was really great. I started following the Lord. That guy moved away, um, but I, I, I still never told anyone, and I still carried that shame. Um, and it's very much like what Grant was, was just talking about where... Um, it, it's like it followed me. And I'm not saying it was my fault. If you've experienced this, I'm not saying if you've been re-victimized, it is not your fault. But I do want to say if you're bleeding in the middle of the ocean, sharks will come. And that's what happened for me. So, so that happened when I was 15 and then it, into 16. And then I you know, was on fire for the Lord, but still just holding the secret deep inside and, and just didn't tell anyone. So years and years went by of just, you know, 
seeking the Lord, but then I would get in and out of these relationships that always started with someone really charming that seemed really great, and then suddenly it would happen again. Um, So this became a pattern for my life, um, and I just kept it to myself. And eventually when I graduated high school, um, and y'all, I just... I want to say this to you. I was doing ministry while I was doing this. So some of you might even be doing like ministry and helping people, but you're still holding on to shame. And I just, I just want to encourage you to release that, to confess it to someone else what's going on or what you've been through, because there is freedom in that. Uh, so anyways, fast forward, I graduate high school. We move back here to Georgia. Um, and after some time, I start, again, dating someone that seems really great. We date for a long time. And I, I mean, I think things are perfect, like checking all the boxes. We have all these plans to go overseas and do missions. Like, I just think I have like, I don't know, won the spiritual lottery. That is not a good example, but, <laughs> but basically I'm just, you know, head over heels, whatever. So uh, we get engaged and um, things completely flip. Things completely change. This person that was once someone I thought who was going to protect me and, and love me um, turned out to be um, totally different. And it turned into the worst abuse relationship I'd ever been in. And just hor- horrific things happened. We stayed engaged for over a year. And I just, I thought I, um, I had to fight to make it work. I was like, oh, this is just prep for marriage. Like, I just got to fight for this thing. Like, I just got to, you know, this, that, whatever. And just very much was stuck in this mindset of like, I just have to stay. But it wasn't, it wasn't actually out of a place of commitment. It was out of a place of fear. And I was scared to leave. And I, I even remember like moments where like, he was abusive physically and sexually, but also like he would say things to me, him and his family. I remember one time sat me down and um, (laughs) they just began to list off everything that they saw wrong with me. Just every single insecurity I already had, they just dug into me and said, you are a disgrace and a dishonor to our family and our family name, and you need to fix these things. And I used to be so, you know, upset that he didn't stand up for me, but then Later, I was more upset I didn't stand up for myself. And anyways, I just sat there, though, like a victim, and I just took it, like a scared little dog. Like, you know, when, when a dog's been abused and they, like, are shaky and scared or they're defensive, I, I would just go into this really scared mode. So anyways, all that happened. Eventually, the Lord delivered me, literally delivered me from that relationship. But after that, I still dealt with the wounds of that, and it just planted deep in me this fear, like, just this deep-seated fear of, like, even coming into a church and I'd see men and it's like I would have an action plan in my mind like it sounds ridiculous but it's like where's the exit where's the door like I'm going to intentionally look you in the eyes and say hi to you before you can even like get to me because I will not be blindsided it was just like ridiculous like coming to church like shaking because I was so scared um and so, um, because a lot of the, the men that this had happened with were men in the church. And so, anyways, that, that, like, deeply planted this fear in me. And so, I had these years and years of fear, and, and just I would have these breakthrough moments. I finally shared my story with someone, finally started going to counseling. And it was all great and helpful, and I, I really, you know, I recommend counseling. I recommend getting godly counsel. Um, but I still had this lingering fear deep inside. And so... Anyways, about 
two, a little over two years ago now. Uh, my dad unexpectedly passed away. Um, it was really, you know, hard. And then, so I, I moved in with my mom for a bit into some apartments in town. And I hadn't seen my ex-fiance, the, the most abusive one, like, since I left that relationship, since the Lord delivered me from it. And I moved into these apartments, and suddenly I'm, I'm walking with my mom one day, and he's there. And I thought I was literally going to die right there. Like, I just, my heart was just like, I thought I was having a heart attack. I, I couldn't breathe. You know, I was feeling all these physical symptoms. And um, anyways, after that moment, I, I remember that night just praying to the Lord, like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick. I'm sick and tired of walking into places and being scared like that this is going to just keep happening and this is going to be the pattern of my life. And I was like, Lord, I don't know how to get this fear thing out of me, but I, I need you to do it. I can't do it on my own. And so that night I had, um, I had this dream where I, had, I would have dreams ever since the whole thing started when I was 15 where something bad was going to happen to me. And I'd go to scream, I'd open my mouth, and no noise would come out. And so that night after I saw my ex-fiance and, you know, I just lost my dad, felt super vulnerable, super like unsafe. And I prayed that prayer to the Lord. I had this dream that night and basically got to this point where something bad was going to happen. I opened my mouth to scream. And in the dream, it started out as this small like siren noise. And then it grew into this loud, like, you know, the Saturday sirens we have, it grew into that. And I woke up and I was actually like <laughs> screaming like that. So my mom comes running in my room and is like, what's happening? She slips on my skateboard and she was fine. She, <laughs> she's like <laughs> freaking out. And I like come to and realize like, oh, that noise is coming from me. Like, I, like I'm able to scream, what? I haven't been able to do that in years. And so I start after that and I realize what's happening, I start laughing like, crazy laughing like my mom thought she's like what kind of tea did you drink before bed like I'm like nervous about this and I started just laughing for like you know 20 minutes or something like it was crazy and then suddenly it was like a dam was built up in my heart had just broken and I began to weep from this deep place inside from that 15 year old girl up until that point I just weeped and the Lord um, just brought so much healing in that moment now I, I shared that um, and it's a beautiful moment, but there's a process with these things. And there is that, that self-discipline piece. And I, I began to recognize after that moment, the Lord started to highlight the, my reactions, my thought patterns, uh, my assumptions, the way I interacted, especially with men, the way I viewed myself, the way I viewed my body, the way I viewed marriage, the way I viewed all sorts of things. And it started as this process of just having to work through it with the Lord. And so, um, like February last year, me and Trish were praying, and I really felt like the Lord just completely, like, ripped up, like, that root of fear. Like, we were praying, and I literally felt it in my stomach. It was like a root was being pulled up. But even after that, like it still is a process. So I'm not saying this to like scare anyone, like, oh, like being delivered from the spirit of fear is like a whole like decades of things, but we're, we constantly have to put ourselves to death, like put our flesh to death, right? So I just wanna encourage you that if, you know, if you've experienced, you know, some really terrible things like this, if you've, um, if you're dealing with the spirit of fear, um, 
the Lord, yes, will deliver you, but also there's a process with the Lord, and we have to walk with him through the process. So I just wanted to really share some practical ways the Lord has been doing that uh, in my life over these past few years, or a couple of years. Um, so one thing is, like, scripture, and I'm not, look, I'm going to say memorize scripture. I'm not some, like, you know, put-together like PK that has all the mem- like Bible verses memorized, but I do want to say like ask the Lord for anchoring scriptures that speak directly to like what you're going through, and He will give you scriptures. And so there's a couple that He's given me like um, Psalm 116:7, "Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you." And so when I come into moments and I feel shaky, when I come up here and I feel shaky, when I have to have a conversation or face someone that I, I feel a little scared to face. I say that to myself. I say, no, soul, return to your rest. Command my soul, return to your rest because the Lord's been good to you and he's going to continue to be good to you. Um, other v- verses like, I, I lift my eyes to the, the mountains. Does my help come from them? No, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121, 1 through 2, I think. Um, and they're just like verses like that that have helped through the process. Like as I'm facing fear, I repeat it to myself and remind myself, command myself, no flesh die, no soul come under the control of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who says uh, what goes. He's the one who says who I am. He's the one who gives the victory. Um, so I share all that to say that you can be delivered from the spirit of fear, but also, like, be in the process with the Lord. It's beautiful, and uh, even just being able to be up here, like, on a mic is, like, totally wild for me, <laughs> um, because it's just not, it's just not natural for me, but through the Holy Spirit's power, I'm able to come up here and share, and I now don't have to walk in the victim mindset, or even the survivor mindset, but in the the more than conqueror mindset. So I just want to share today, if you're walking in the spirit of fear, you're called to be more than a conqueror. Like, that's wild. Do we really think about, like, the verse that's, like, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you? Like, that's, yeah, like, (laughs) start throwing things. Like, that's wild. That is, so, and I, um, sorry, I'm, I'm wrapping up, I promise. Um, so, so um, yeah, so my other job, as well as working here, I work at the local sexual assault support center. So, I mean, I hear these stories all day. I, you know, I see people all day who um, have been through these things and been through traumatic things. And um, there really is this thing of, like, we put on, when we go through traumatic things, when we go through pain, when we're dealing with fear, we put on almost like this cloak of, like, I am a victim. And it it shows up in so many ways. I mean, it shows up in the way we perceive ourselves and others perceive us. And then we, I think we, like, this next generation kind of talks about survivors rather than victims because it sounds more like, it, it just sounds better, I guess. But, I mean, we're not called to just survive, just to, like, scrape by. Like, we're called uh, to thrive, you know, to be more than conquerors through Christ. And so um, I see that a lot in our world, and I just... I just really want to encourage our congregation. I feel like right now we're just having a lot of people dealing with the spirit of fear, and it's showing up in a lot of different things. It's showing up in your relationships. It's showing up in your eating patterns. It's showing up in your career. It's showing up in a lot of different areas, 
the Lord's highlighting it for a reason. Don't be afraid of it. Like, the Lord wants to walk with you through the process. Um, and he, he doesn't want to leave you as just survivor, as just victim, but as more than conqueror. So that's just what I wanted to share today. Um, there's more to my, my story, but that's just a part of my story, but it's not the whole story. I and mean, if this is part of your story, it's not your whole story. There's more. Christ has more for you. You're more than a conqueror, so walk in that. Yeah, um, so I just want to pray that over us. And again, you know, no words I could share <laughs> can, can do anything. It's the Lord. So I just want to pray right now. Holy Spirit, come in this place. Fill these people, Lord. God, where there are roots of fear and the souls of people in this place, uproot it right now, God. Deliver them right now, Lord Jesus. And for those of us who have uh, lingering uh, pieces of fear just inside of us, God. I just ask that you show us, you highlight those things to us, God. You, you show us um, in our daily walks how we're, we're walking in fear still, God, and that you would rip that out. You would show us practical ways of how to walk out living as victors, God, uh, living as more than conquerors. God, we thank you that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. God, and we, I just ask right now that you, you permeate that truth on our, our hearts and in our, in our minds, God, and that we begin to walk in ways of people who have been raised from the dead. God, I thank you for the work that you've done in my heart and life, God, in my story, and I thank you for what you're doing in our congregation right now, God. For those right now who are struggling with that spirit of fear, God, deliver them, Lord. For those who need to confess uh, what they're struggling with, give them brothers and sisters they can confess these things to, God. Uh, people who can hold them accountable and walking in victory, God. God, I thank you for the freedom you give. You came to set the captives free, Jesus. We thank you for setting the captives free in, inside ourselves, God, the captive inside ourselves, for setting us free, God. And I just ask right now, anyone else in here who's held bound, who's held captive by fear, by shame, by a past God, um, by whatever it is, just bring freedom in this place, Lord Jesus. And we just ask that wherever we go, we carry your name, Jesus, we carry that calling of setting captives free. We thank you, Jesus, your name we pray.